Good morning, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today at South Park Church or for watching from online or listening to our podcast as we're wrapping up our wisdom series. I hope that this has been a meaningful series for you. It's been a lot of fun to go through the book of Proverbs and find some everyday real life biblical theology that we can apply to our life. And so uh, we're going to continue celebrating that today. Uh, earlier this year, I had the privilege of being an overnight chaperone uh, for my son's sixth grade class to go on a field trip. And so it was the whole sixth grade of his school went. And so I and another father had 19 11-year-olds in a cabin together. And so uh, that was quite an experience. And it was a lot of fun. It was a challenge. Uh, but we, we had a good time on this field trip. And the last morning that we were there, we're packing all of our stuff up. We're getting ready to have breakfast. And we still had a full day ahead of us. And, and I had two boys come to me that had been great the whole time during the trip. Uh, but they were having kind of an argument with one another. And so boy A said that boy B, who was sleeping in the bunk above him, had stolen his water bottle that he just bought from the camp that had the camp logo on it where we were staying at. And he wanted me to make boy B give his water bottle back to boy A. So, of course, boy B said, this is my water bottle, and I bought it here, and that, then I'm not going to give it back to him. Uh, and so here I am thinking, Lord, I need some wisdom here. And uh, if you look at, you know, the book of Proverbs is, uh, is attributed to King Solomon, the, the great king who lived about a thousand years before Jesus was born. Uh, who asked, God asked him, what would you like? And, and Solomon said, I would like wisdom. And God gave him all this wisdom. He wrote a lot of the Proverbs. Uh, if you remember one time, uh, this, uh, these two women came to King Solomon and, and they were arguing, saying, this baby is my baby. And, and, the, and the other woman said, no, it's my baby. And so King Solomon said, bring me a sword. I'm going to cut the baby in half. And, and of course, the, the, the real mother said, no, 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 let the baby live. And the lady who was lying said, that's fine with me. So Solomon figured out you know, where he, who, whose baby it really was. So the water bottle came up. I said, bring me a sword. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, so I said, well, you know, boy B, he says this is his water bottle. We can't prove that it's not. So we're just going to have to let him keep the water bottle. And I said to boy A, I'll help you look. Let's look for your water bottle. No, I've looked everywhere. I've looked in my stuff. I've looked under my bunk. He stole this water bottle from me. And so no sooner that I walk away from this, this conversation, boy A goes, and he, he's a more popular boy than boy B, and he's got all these other kids starting to call boy B a liar and a thief, and you know, you know how peer pressure can be at that age, and so it's getting pretty intense. So uh, I get them, we all walk down, we're going to breakfast, and uh, boy A's mother is a teacher, she's on the trip, and some other teachers are on the trip that are friends with her, so one of the teachers approaches me as soon as I get down for breakfast and says... I know, Mr. Thompson, that for a fact that boy B did not buy a water bottle. I was with him. We were at the store together, and I know he didn't buy that water bottle. He must have taken that from boy A. So we need to have a conversation with him. I said, well, okay, let's talk to him. So she goes, and we find boy B, and she says to him, you know, I know yesterday we were together at the store, and I don't remember you buying a water bottle. And, and you know, what do you have to say about that? And so boy B just, like, burst into tears. He's like... I promise you this is my water bottle. I haven't stolen it. Why won't anybody believe me? And so the teacher turns to me and says, well, why don't you, Mr. Thompson, go back to the cabin and see if you can't find that, alleging, you know, that it's still not his water bottle. 
Uh, and in the meantime, like all these other chaperones are looking over going, uh-huh, Mr. Thompson, we knew you weren't chaperone material. You've got a crying kid here. You know, uh, this is the end of you and your chaperone uh, future here at our, at our school. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? I mean, God, you know, throw me a bone here. What, what's going on? What would you do? There are a lot of times in everyday life where it would sure help if we had a burning bush come out to us and God spoke to us like Moses did. And, and we would love to have that. But, uh, but a lot of times we don't have that experience. And so we've got to figure out this wisdom thing on our own. And, and, and that's why, you know, we've been digging into this series. How can we find godly wisdom in everyday life? Because we all face everyday problems and challenges that that we have to navigate and we're going to have to make a choice and we want to make the best choice possible so so how do we begin to do that as we kind of chart the course in our lives looking for wisdom and how to apply that in our lives the game dungeons and dragons has been around since the 1970s it's a very famous role-playing game and what happens is, is you get a character and then you go on these quests and you go look for treasure and you can battle against bad guys and dragons and uh, you can rescue people. And it, it, there's, it's a very imaginative game. Uh, and, to, and to get the characters, they're usually different than who you are in your real life. You have to roll these dice and you find out what your attributes are. So you can roll the dice and you'll find out what your intelligent is, intelligence is. So maybe you can be smarter or, or less smart than you are in real life. Uh, you can roll the dice, you find out what your strength is. Maybe you're going to be a super strong person. And you roll the dice to find out what your charisma is. And are you have a strong personality or kind of a weak personality. And uh, and so it's interesting that in Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of times you have to play like the character would play rather than how you would play things in your life based upon what your scores are. Also very interesting in Dungeons and Dragons is that there are two different scores for wisdom and intelligence. That they distinguish that your intelligence can be one score and your wisdom can be another score. And so let's think about how this might apply. So if you have a strong, high intelligence in Dungeons and Dragons and you come upon a dragon in the game, you can notice that the dragon is 100 feet tall, has big fangs, breathes fire, has strong claws on its feet and, and hands, and has a big tail and could probably kill you in about 10 different ways. Uh, dragons have about 500 hit points, and, and your hit points are, are how many life points you have when they're down. When they're down to zero, you're dead, right? You can say that is intelligent. That, that's what a dragon is. And then you can look at yourself. Well, my character is about five feet tall. I uh, have about 25 life hit points. The dragon has 100 hit points or 500 hit points. Uh, and I have this little sword about three feet long, right? And so intelligently, there's no way that I can defeat this dragon, right? So if your intelligence score is high, you can, you can discern that. But then if your wisdom score, which is based on a score of 1 to 20, if your wisdom score is a 3, guess what you're going to do in the game? You're going to say, attack the dragon! When you know in your mind intelligently there's no way you're going to win this, your, your wisdom is so low that you're going to attack the, attack the dragon and you're going to get chomped or stomped or burnt alive and you're going to become toast, right? And so as an outside force, you kind of see your character doing something that you're saying, no, don't do it, but you have to do it because that's the way the rules are played. Now, you might not play Dungeons & Dragons, but I think in our own lives, sometimes we have those experiences where we intelligently know there's something we should or should not do. And then we kind of have an out-of-body experience and we see ourselves doing the exact same, same thing that we know we shouldn't be doing, right? And we're screaming to ourselves, no, don't do it, right? But we go ahead and do it anyway. I know I shouldn't 
purchase this because I can't afford it. I know that I shouldn't eat this because it's not good for me. I know that I should not say this to that person, you know, but I'm going to say it anyway. I know I shouldn't smoke this and put this chemical into my body. In our own lives, how many of those situations have you found yourself in? You know it's wrong. You have the intelligence. You, you have the knowledge. You have all the details. And, and, you, and you know what's, what you're not supposed to do, what you're supposed to do. And yet you still choose through your wisdom to do the wrong thing. Right? And it's just like that paralyzing moment where you see yourself doing something and you're saying, no, don't do it. But we do it anyway. Because there's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Intelligence, uh, data, all that. Simply, we know things. We understand the way the world works. We, we have all of the facts, right? Wisdom is how we use the facts that we have. Wisdom is how we use the knowledge that we have. So we can understand things, we, we have the data, but do we have the wisdom to use that data in the correct way? And, and that's something that I think we really wrestle with. And I think that's the, the power of, of, of the book of Proverbs is to try to help us navigate that. So, uh, I mean, just think about that in our lives. Sometimes we might rightly know that we're more intelligent than our teacher is or we're more intelligent than uh, our parents are. We might be more intelligent than our boss is. And wisdom would tell us not to let them know that, right? That would probably be a wise thing to try to keep that information to ourselves. Uh, in the world today, we have the intelligence to create weapons that can destroy the entire world. We can split atoms and create nuclear power uh, that can destroy the entire world. Is it wise to use our knowledge to create those weapons? Is it wise to use our, our knowledge to actually use those weapons? Right? There's a difference between intelligence. There's a difference between wisdom. What do we know and how are we going to use that? Uh, and sometimes wisdom can be counterintuitive to intelligence. If you're playing the game of poker and, and you look down and you see that your final hand, the best cards that you have in your hand are a pair of twos, right? Two number two cards. Your intelligence says, I'm going to lose this game because that's one of the worst hands that I can have in, in, in the whole game of poker. But a seasoned veteran can look down and see those t pair of twos and say, based on my experience in, in betting in the poker world, I can bluff my way through this and I can take those twos and I'm going to I'm going to beat everybody at the table, right? And so wisdom can be kind of counterintuitive to, to knowledge. Now, I want to caveat that by saying I don't believe in gambling. I don't think that's a good idea, and I, I don't endorse that, but I think it proves a point. How many times in our lives are we going through a very difficult situation, and we've been in a bad spot for a long time, and, and, our, our, and our intelligence, our information says to us that it's going to continue. Today's going to be a bad day. Tomorrow's going to be a bad day because yesterday was a bad day, and the day before that was a bad day. But then we read the wisdom of God that says sometimes when we're in the worst difficult positions in our lives, it's when God does some of his best work. And that tomorrow's a new day, and, and, and tomorrow God might step in, and, and things might be totally better. Right? And so sometimes when we defer to wisdom over knowledge and intelligence, it can be counterintuitive and that God can really surprise us. Right? So this, this intelligence, this knowledge versus wisdom thing is really kind of tricky. And so that's why it's so important for us to be anchored in godly wisdom. Now, I think in our world today that we could all kind of agree that there's no shortage of information. There's no shortage 
of knowledge. There's no shortage of intelligence. There, there are so many places, so many resources that we can have to find out knowledge and intelligence. We, we can find out data. There's, there's tons of books. There's tons of schools. There's tons of professors. You can go on the internet and you can look up just about anything that you ever want to find out. Right? The trick is, once we have the data, once we have the information, how do we apply that? Again, the, the, the challenge, I think, for our times is not so much information, it's wisdom and, and how to deal with that. And this information has really exploded in the past several years uh, in, in a major way. Like when I was back in high school, we didn't have as much data. We didn't have as much knowledge. I remember when I was in high school and we were having to study some of the, the famous you know, literary figures and authors and we were reading books like Nathaniel Hawthorne's A Scarlet Letter or The House of the Seven Gables and I'd be reading those books and I'd be like, what does this mean? Right, I, I need some help with this. And, and we didn't have the internet where you could go on and find 50,000 different essays written about Nathaniel Hawthorne. Like We had to read it for ourselves and, and that was sometimes very difficult. Of course, that's probably the best way to do it is, is you got to learn that yourself, but like the only data we really had to help us in, in this case uh, were, were books called Cliff's Notes. You remember those? We got a picture of one of those. Uh, there are these guides to the literature to help you understand that. This is Cliff Notes version of The Lord of the Flies. You ever read that book, Lord of the Flies? Right? And so I was so glad when I was studying The Lord of the Flies to find this book of Cliff Notes to help me understand The Lord of the Flies because that's a, that's a kind of challenging book. It's a story about these British children who were shipwrecked on this island during, I think, World War II. Uh, and once they're on the island, uh, instead of being a paradise, they start killing each other. It's a horrible book. And, uh, and, and, and you read this, you're like, what's the point of this? And uh, and then you're reading the cliff notes, and it helps you understand that the Lord of the Flies is like an allusion to the devil. Uh, and this book is about human nature, and it's saying that there's something really wrong and broken inside of us where even the, our own children, left to their own, own uh, selves, are going to do horrible things to each other. Uh, and then at the end of the book, uh, the children who are, are left alive are rescued, and they're saved. And, and you're reading the book, you're like, yes, you know, finally they're saved. And you know who saves them? It's a British Army, a British Navy ship. And, and, and so what's happening is you're celebrating that the kids are saved, but, but the adults haven't learned the lesson of childhood, right? The, the adults are in war killing each other. So it's, it's a warrior who saves the, the kids who are killing each other. And, and so, again, the wisdom of this book is that there's something broken in human nature. There's something down deep that's broken where we kill each other all the time, right? And now... Now, here's the thing. There's probably 50,000 essays that have been written on the Lord of the Flies. Uh, lots of people have read it. They've probably understood this in their minds, and yet have we applied the wisdom of the book in our culture? Probably not. Right? We're scared to go to the movies because you can get shot there. You can get shot at a church. You can get shot at a, a Walmart. You can get shot anywhere in America today uh, because we're not applying the wisdom to all of these facts and all of this information that we have. So how do we gain wisdom in our lives? There's a saying that says, to be old and wise, you must be first young and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> to be old and wise, you must 
first be young and stupid. And I think that's true. And I, I think one of the ways that we gain wisdom is simply living through life experience. We, we make choices. Some of them go well, some of them go poorly, and we learn from that. Wow, I made this mistake. I never want to make that mistake again. I share with you, honestly, two weeks ago, uh, the one and only time that I, I said a phrase to my wife that I learned I should never say ever again when the washing machine broke down. She called me to come down and help her with that. I'm like, I said, what have you done now? Right? That's the first and the last time that I ever said that because it did not go very well, right? The, the young and stupid make mistakes. We learn from that. We become old and wise. And so we gain wisdom from our personal experience in our lives. But there's also another way that we can gain wisdom. We can gain wisdom from other people's experience. Other people who have been through life, who've learned hard lessons, and they try to help us avoid those lessons. We have parents, we have grandparents, we have siblings, we have friends who have been through experiences uh, and they try to help us with this. Uh, that's why, you know, at church it's so important for us to be in groups of, of other Christian people because we navigate life together and we, we have, we're different ages, we have different walks of life. And so, you know, we look to other people to help us navigate life. So the, the way that we get wisdom is either from our own experience or from other people's experiences. Right? And of course, we're in a church, and so we believe that God has experience and that God is all-knowing and all-powerful and so that we can learn also from God's wisdom. And that's why we read the Bible. That's why we've been studying the book of Proverbs in this series. And so today, as we think about wanting to find out what wisdom is, let's dive back into the book of Proverbs uh, and see some of what God teaches us specifically about trying to attain wisdom in our lives, more so than knowledge, more so than intelligence, what wisdom we can gain. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything that you do, everywhere you go, God's the one who will keep you on track. Don't try to figure it out for yourselves. Let God help you, right? God is here to keep us on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Now, that's a hard sentence to swallow. Don't assume that you know it all because that's usually our main operating procedure, right? We know what we're doing. Don't assume that you know it all, but run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow in health and your very bones will vibrate with life, right? And so God has wisdom, and God offers that wisdom to us to keep us on track, right? The original translation says God will make our path straight, right? God's wisdom helps us stay on track. Don't go it your own way, right? God has a great amount of knowledge. God has a great amount of wisdom that he wants to bestow upon us, and, and so we should heed that. And, and so I guess the next question is, well, Pastor Kyle, I would love to know what God's will is for me. I would love to know God's wisdom. But as you said, I haven't seen a burning bush light up in front of me and say, hey, you should do this, right? God doesn't speak to me as clearly as he speaks to Moses or uh, some other figures in the Bible. So how can I know what God's wisdom is for me in my life? Well, several things that we've talked about in this series I want to kind of say again today. I think the first is we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to have an active prayer life where we talk to God and we listen to God. In the New Testament, the book of James, the, the author of James says, ask for God's wisdom, right? How many of us simply just pray to God, God, give me wisdom like Solomon did. God, give me wisdom. I, I want to have your wisdom in my life to make the right decision. So we need to pray and we need to learn how to pray and listen to God. That's, that's why we come to church, right? And, and, and we also... Uh, we need to read the scripture. 
right? We, we have thousands of years of God's speaking to humanity that are, that are still relevant to today about how we deal with our families and our friends and our work and, and our health uh, and, and other people. And, and so God has given us the wisdom of the Bible and it's, it's, it's vast wisdom. And so we study it on our own. We study it in small groups. We come to worship and we, we talk about it. We preach about it, right? So studying the Bible is so important. The other thing that we can do is we can surround ourselves with other Christians who have been through life, who are going through life, who, who are older and younger and who are the same age and, and, and single and, and married or divorced or with kids, without kids. We surround ourselves with other Christians who are going through life and they've learned from experience that they can help us. Right? Again, that's why our small group ministries are so important. That's why we have different kinds of groups. We have life groups that, that stay together for, for a long time. We have, we have short study-based groups. We have classes that meet on Sunday mornings, right? We do life together. We pursue life to the full together, right? And so when, when we do that, we gain wisdom from God through other people. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, our denomination, said, for him, it kind of comes down to four things. He called it the quadrilateral. If we want to understand what God wants for us, God's wisdom is in the world, he says, these are four places that you need to look. The first is scripture, right? We, we do the Bible together. We do it individually. The next is church tradition. What does the church have to say about it? The church has been around, right, for thousands of years. What can the church teach us? And, and our pastors can help us navigate that. Our small group leaders can help us navigate that. And then we have our brains, right, to, to reason it out. Is this a godly decision that I'm getting ready to make? Right? God gives us brains for a reason. He doesn't want us to check them at the door. Right? So we, we use the brains that God has given us. And then our personal experience. Right? How have I experienced God in my life? How have the other Christians that I trust experienced God in their lives? Right? So these are four things that we can do to kind of tap into God's wisdom. And we wrap all of that up in prayer. Right? So if you're wondering what God's wisdom is, these are great places for you to kind of interact with that. You know, and, 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 and when we dive down into some of this, when we dive down into the scriptures, I know that, that some of us then begin to become a little skeptical to say, you know what, there's a lot of rules in the Bible. And there's a lot of bossiness in the Bible. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, right? I, I, and then we think, aren't we past rules-based stuff, right? Isn't that Old Testament kind of stuff? And hasn't Jesus kind of set us free from, from all these rules and regulations in the Bible? Well, let's look at rules for a minute. Because a lot of God's wisdom has kind of been imparted in the Bible through different rules. In the Old Testament, the times before Jesus uh, appeared uh, as, a, as a man on the earth, right? the way that the people of God related to, to God was through the law that God gave Moses. And in that, there's 613 commands. There's do this commands and don't do this commands. And the reason God gave the people the law were a couple of reasons. One was it was for their good. It's good when you don't kill each other. It's good when you don't cheat on your spouse. It's good when you don't steal from each other. It's good when you're not greedy. It's good when you honor your parents. Right? These are things that are good for you. It also set them apart. Right? They, they live life differently than some other people around them. Why, why are you Israelites not so, so big on revenge? Right? Why, why is that? Right? And, and even the way they dressed was different than the other people. And, and I don't think that was a moral thing. I think it was to set them apart. It's like, this is a different group of people. Why are they different? Right? And, and so God gave the people of Israel these laws and commands, and they followed them. They tried to do their best for a long time. When they got them wrong, they, they offered sacrifices to God of animals to say, we're sorry, please forgive us. That was part of the laws. The trick with all these laws is there's no way you can keep all 613 of them. There's just, there's no way. There's laws about what to do when you find a bird's nest. There's laws, uh, you know, some are easier to keep than others. And so God knew this, 
He, he gave the laws to the people of Israel for a time. Um, but, but with these laws, when, when you broke the laws, then you, you had guilt, you had shame, you had consequences such as death and hell, which means separated from God, separated from each other, right? And so when the time was right, God then sent Jesus, his son, into the world uh, to die on a cross and to come back to life, right, to take care of our guilt and our shame and our death and our hell, right? And instead of now following a, a, a code of laws, now we surrender to Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Come and live in me. And, and Jesus says, I, I will do that. And so he comes and he lives in us and he, and he takes away our guilt and our shame and, and our death and our hell and he replaces it with life to the full, right? My shirt, life to the full while we live on the earth and, and gives us the opportunity to live forever in the kingdom of heaven in all of eternity. And it's just this amazing thing that Jesus does for us, right? And, and so that now becomes a relationship with God rather than rules, right? I would argue that actually the rules in the Old Testament were first relationship-based rather than rules-based, but we don't have time to go into that. Uh, but I do want to show you this passage from 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul writes. This is a first-century pastor writing to a church that he started in Corinth, which was in Greece, and this is what he says. For the message of the cross of Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing. Right? God saved people through his son dying on a cross. That means you have a weak God. How is that a good thing? But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Right? The cross seems so foolish. Right? The death of God, how can that be a good thing? Right? It seems just so foolish. Jews, Jesus and his disciples were Jewish, they, design, they demand signs, show us miracles. Greeks look for wisdom, show us philosophy. We want to understand God in our minds. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, God calls all of us, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right? Do you see this? Jesus is now the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Right, so God says, now Jesus is the way. Right? The death of Jesus seems foolish to the world. How can, how can God die? Right? But Jesus willingly dies so that you and I can be in a right relationship with God, so that we can live life to the full and we can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. So the wisest decision we can make, hear this, the wisest decision we can make is to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ to invite him to be our Lord and our Savior. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that we have to throw the rest of the Bible away. Right? We're saved through our faith. We're saved through what Jesus does. We're not saved through our actions. But the wisdom that God gives us in the Bible still helps us live good lives. It's still important not to kill each other. It's still important not to cheat on each other and, 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 our, and our spouses. It's important to honor our parents. Right? It's important to eat things that are healthy for us. Uh, it's important to take care of our bodies. It's important to be in, in relationship with each other. So the wisdom of God, right, it, it doesn't chain us now. It's there for our own good. We find salvation in Jesus alone. But if we really follow Jesus and love Jesus, then we're going to see that the wisdom in the Bible is really for our own good and that we should probably pay attention to that, right? And so... So what? What's the big idea? What's the point? You know, what can we walk away with this morning? I think it's this. God's wisdom keeps us on track, not under guard. Right? 
God's wisdom keeps us on track, not under guard. We're not a bunch of rule followers. God doesn't love us because we keep rules. God loves us because he created us. We're saved through the power of Jesus, right? But God loves us so much that he wants us to live good lives that he kind of gives us an outline of, hey, if you want to live a great life, these are some some guidelines you might want to consider in your life. This is how you should spend your money. This is how you should treat people. And, And so God's wisdom is to keep us on track, right? Not to keep us under guard, not to keep us under lock and key, right? Does that make sense? It's, it's kind of like if we play hide and seek. If everybody goes and hides and no one seeks, we're not playing hide and seek anymore. Right? We're just playing hide, right? So God gives us the Bible as to be living life to the full. It's the game of life, right? And if we listen to God's guidelines and, 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 we, and we listen to what God says, we're going to live the game of life. We're going to live life to the full. If we start changing the rules, we start changing things based on our wisdom, then we're no longer playing the life, game of life. We're playing the game of death. We're playing the game of life to the empty. Uh, and we find ourselves in, in a lot of trouble. And so uh, God's wisdom is to keep us on track, not to keep us under guard. And one way I'd like to challenge you to, uh, to apply this into your life, into your everyday life uh, as you go out in the world, just try it this week. When you have a decision to make and, and you need to make that and you have time to make decisions, I know some decisions we have to make you know, quickly. We don't have time, time to, to think about them. But if you have time to make a decision, ask yourself, am I making a wise decision? I've got a, a, a picture here where in wise, the capital W and the capital I, right? The W stands for wisdom. The I stands for intelligence, right? Is this an intelligent decision based on what I think it is, but is it also a wise decision based on, on God's wisdom, right? Because how do we usually make our decisions? When we use the word wise, the only capital is I, right? This is my decision. I think this is the way to go. I think this is right. I think it's, this is the wise way to go, right? So what I want you to do is to make a wise decision rather than an I decision. Does that make sense? So a lot of times we're going in our own way, what I want to do. Are we going to factor in the capital W of God's wise decision, right? So this week as you try to make decisions, is this an I decision or is this a, a wise decision with God's wisdom added to our intelligence that God has given to us, right? We want to play the game of life. We don't want to play the game of death, right? Maybe another way of looking at it is, in the book of Proverbs, when Solomon's writing the first few chapters, he's writing advice to his son. And he's saying, son, these are some things that I've learned and I want you to learn. Right? And I think about that as a parent. When I'm giving advice to Luke and to Nathan, when Laura and I are giving advice to our children, uh, we, we're doing that because we've learned some hard lessons and we want them to live a good life. And so we have rules for them. They have to brush their teeth. They have to eat healthy. They have a certain amount of screen time that they can't go beyond. They need to get outside and exercise. They, they have to spend their money in certain ways. And, and now they have to do that. One day they're going to have to choose whether or not they're going to follow those rules or not. And I'm sure they're going to not brush their teeth. They're probably going to eat a lot of junk food for a while. But at some point we want them to go back to this wisdom that we're trying to give to them. right? Because we've seen things go wrong in life. We've seen how alcohol can wreck a life. We've seen how drugs can wreck your life. We've seen how promiscuity sexually can mess your life up. We've seen how greed can get you in over your heads. We've, we've learned and we've seen other people learn some hard lessons. And so we don't love Luke and Nathan because they follow our rules. We offer them wisdom because we love them. Do you see the difference? Right? 
God doesn't love us because we follow God's rules, because we step in line and we, we earn our way to salvation. That's impossible. God loves us so much that he gives us guidelines to say, if you want to live life to the full, you might want to consider these things. Right? As a father, that's why I try to teach my boys my wisdom. I'm never not going to love them. Right? I'm never going to love them only if they follow my rules. That's, that's not how God works either. But because God loves us, he gives us advice, he gives us wisdom. And he tries to help us live a life to the full. So back to my sixth grade story. I'm standing here with this kid who's bawling his eyes out. All these people are looking at me like a complete moron. I'm a total failure as a chaperone. And I'm thinking, if this is my kid, and I, there's an adult trying to help him out, what would I want them to say? right? And, and so if he stole the water bottle, I can't prove that. I don't think he's stolen the water bottle. If he does and he's putting on a great show, his conscience is going to catch up to him at some point. And so I just, my mind, through the Holy Spirit kind of working through me in ways that I don't even understand, kind of just, it, it brought me back to Jesus. And if this was Jesus, how would Jesus handle this? Jesus always errs on the side of grace. So this boy needs someone to believe in him, someone to encourage him. And so I started asking him some questions about his life to kind of calm him down. We went, we looked through the cabin. There's no water bottle. So I said, look, this is your water bottle. You didn't steal it. Then you need to stand strong in that, and I'll support you, right? You need to be strong in this. But you got to know that your, 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 your buddy, the other boy, boy A, he's going he's gonna to make it hard on you, and his friends are going to make it hard on you. The teacher might make it hard on you. This is your water bottle. You need to stand strong. And you're going to be okay. Are you good with that? And he said, yes, sir. Right? And so, err on the side of grace. I would want someone to believe in my child. Uh, so, we go through the rest of our day. He's getting some peer pressure. Uh, we went back and told the teacher we couldn't find it. She was, she was calm about it. She never accused him of stealing it. She said, well, maybe it'll turn up. We go through the day. Uh, and right as we're getting ready to leave, the other boy comes up. He says, I'm so sorry. I found my water bottle in the bottom of my bag. And he went and he told the other boy, you were right and I was wrong and I'm sorry. Now that ended a lot neater than most of our lives end, right? <laughs> and that's just the grace of God right there, right? Um, but what was important was that kid needed to know that someone believed in him and that he could be encouraged, right? So in your life right now, what decisions are you facing? What choices do you need to make? Are you like the Dungeons and Dragons player? You know the right thing to do, but you see yourself doing the wrong thing. Right? Stop and, and, and end that and, and listen to what God's trying to teach you. Right? What, what choices is God calling you to make? What, and, and how are you pursuing God's wisdom in this? Right? God's wisdom is to keep us on track, not to keep us under guard. Right, so God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is ready to pour wisdom into us. Not so that we're a bunch of rule obeyers or that we're saved through our actions. No. But because God loves us, he has given us his wisdom. Right? God's wisdom keeps us on track, not under guard. So this week and moving forward, make a wise decision, not an I decision. Because God loves us and offers us his wisdom. Make a wise decision not an I decision, and live life to the full. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.